It's really common to watch a fighter rise up through the ranks in MMA only to unfortunately hit a wall in the form of a legendary champion, but generally a fighter's career will continue to thrive on and many lucrative fights without ever needing to be part of the title picture ever again. But on this list, unfortunately, the exact opposite is true. I'm Jason from MMA On Point, and these are the 10 title challengers who didn't recover after losing. Number 10, Dan Hardy. All right, now this one hurts a little to talk about. I've always been a huge fan of Dan Hardy and he's objectively been a pioneer in a few ways considering he's the first UK fighter to ever challenge for a UFC title. But as you might have guessed with this list, that is a bit of a double-edged distinction because despite putting on such a gutsy performance against who many would consider the GOAT, things never really rebounded for him afterwards. First, it was the mirrored hook landed by Carlos Condit resulting in him being KO'd that sadly took place on home soil in front of a stunned audience. Then it was the still absolutely outrageous 170-pound Skeletor version of Anthony Johnson that took a chapter out of GSP's book and took him down for most of the fight. That was then followed up with a quick guillotine loss to Chris Lytle to send the once-touted title prospect on a four-fight losing streak only a little over a year after the first loss in that streak to GSP. Dan was starting to see a resurgence at the end of his career KOing TJ Dillashaw's famed coach Dwayne Ludwig and then Amir Sadala winning by decision. But unfortunately, this is when Hardy was hit by a heart condition called Wolf Parkinson White Syndrome. While he's said that he's been cleared by another doctor for years, a return to the UFC was never arranged for some reason and the opportunity to recover his career was lost. But hey, there's always boxing fights with Diego Sanchez out there. Number 9, Chell Sonnen. I'll be straight up with you, back in the day, Chell was my favorite fighter on the entire roster. You can always count on me. And we all know how great he was on the mic that made him in part so popular. Whoa, big fella. Not to mention that win over Nate Marquardt was crazy impressive at the time. And so when 117 took place against Anderson Silva, you knew you were in for some sort of treat. It's just that nobody knew how far he would take Silva to the brink like he did. And the fight being so close to one, you just knew he would be back for another shot. And sure enough, he was after a sneaky quick win over the president, Brian Stan, and a controversial win over Bisbing, a you suck call out, and one last challenge at the middleweight title. Well, considering how poorly that ended, it would be hard to ever see a third fight go down. And so this is where things got really weird. Chell somehow found himself next fighting John Jones at 205 within a year. I mean, there's just zero justification for this. It's just money. It was what it was. It did sell decently well, but of course, Chell got mauled by a much bigger foe, and this would all pretty much mark the end of his competitive years. One exception was the quick guillotine on Shogun, but the Rashad Evans lost after it was perhaps the worst loss of his entire career, sadly. And then it was his huge PED sanction that left him out for several years. He'd surprise everybody signing for Bellator now, but that return fight with Tito was not great. To his credit, he would get a couple more wins and a few fun fights before hanging it up, and he'll always have his diehard fans, but after that second Silva loss, I think it was just a bit too much to come back from. Number 8. Bechko Heya. Yes, she actually does have a spot on this list, believe it or not. Unfortunately for her, Betch pretty much just became a meme factory over the last few years. The hobbling and jumping around the cage, dancing, don't cry, etc. But there is a point in time where she was actually 9-0 with three of those wins in the UFC over Julie Kedzie and notably two of Ronda Rousey's close friends in Baszler and Duke. Both of those wins are pretty much credited for getting her the title shot and why she got it so soon. And speaking of don't cry, 
Sakurai. That's exactly what was said back to her by Ronda after she got KO'd. And this is where you basically saw her career take a nosedive in the exact opposite direction. In her eight remaining fights, she just got two more wins. One over Jessica I when she was already on a three-fight losing streak, and somehow Sajara Eubanks, which admittedly was kind of surprising at the time. But regardless of the reason being, whether she was pushed too soon or what, she was doing well in the UFC before the title shot and was nowhere near that status immediately after losing the title. Number seven, Karolina Kovalkiewicz. This is definitely another one of those fighters you didn't want to see fall. She always was and still is a popular fighter and one of the pioneers of the strawweight division. She was even a champion in KSW representing the country's explosion in the sport from the beginning. And when she met Joanna Janjacek to compete for the title at the insanely big UFC return to New York, it really just felt right at the time. She was undefeated after all and she just beaten Rosnam Yunus actually. Despite some rallies in the fight, it was the vintage Joanna who controlled the fight on the feet to a unanimous decision. But that was to be expected at the time, that's just who Joanna was. And at first we didn't see too much of a change, there was a quick loss to Rocky Pennington before a short rebound of two wins over Herring and Jody Esquibel before she lost her next five fights in a row. You don't ever really see somebody on that long of a losing streak unless the UFC wants to keep them around. But she was pretty open during this time that she was just not feeling it anymore. The motivation had totally slipped. Perhaps she could be on the road to recovery now with her recent return and rematch over Felice Herring, who retired that night, but again there's no doubting the change after losing the title shot, and a recovery just remains to be seen. Number 6. Bigfoot Silva. Now, I feel like this one is a confluence of several factors, to be totally honest, but nevertheless, it all began after his title loss to Cain Velasquez in their rematch. Basically, after the man killed Fedor in Strike Force and Alistair in the UFC, he had essentially made a case for being one of the best to come out of that organization over the years. Sure, Verdum in DC had of course beaten him, but he was always a very solid competitor. By the time he lost to Cain in their rematch, though, some things in the UFC were starting to change, and that was notably the stance on TRT and MMA that had about faced and become public enemy number one is that he had several very real hormonal issues. It's called acromegaly and is essentially a massive hormonal imbalance that he has due to a cyst on his pituitary gland. And because TRT would be banned by the beginning of 2014, just after the second cane fight, well Silva had to undergo surgery to try and reduce the imbalance that way. But it basically meant he had extremely low testosterone naturally due to the cyst. And sure enough, we have literally only seen him win one time in MMA all the way since 2014. You throw that in with all of his other fights in combat sports and it just doesn't look great. But either way, things changed about as starkly as possible after he fought for the title. Number five, Mark Hominick. It's gotta be stated just how good this guy was in his prime. Very underrated. He came along at a great time at 145, which was right after the WEC was folded into the UFC. And his division was finally featured on their product. This was also just after the Korean zombie had earned his nickname fittingly for never going down and plodding forward, and then out of nowhere he just got smashed by George Roop with a head kick. Of course this being MMA, you would think that this guy is next, the next big thing. But then out of nowhere again, it's Mark Hominick's turn where he just decimated Roop in only about one minute. Not to mention he was on a real streak of his own with five fights including Leonard Garcia and Brian Caraway in that run. And this all just so happened to time itself perfectly was Jose Aldo's first UFC title defense. But not just any defense. This was the huge card in the Rogers Center in his home country of Canada where he would co-headline underneath GSP in front of a record crowd of 
55,000 plus fans. And despite nearly birthing a child at one point out of his head, he did at the time give Aldo the best challenge of his entire WEC UFC title run. But it just wasn't enough. Even still, he was in his 20s as a young guy with a ton of potential who managed to look good in the loss. Ironically though, he would lose his next fight to the Korean Zombie to always once again prove that MMA math doesn't work, suffer two more losses, and suddenly retire. Number 4, Darren Till. It's really hard not to be a fan of a guy like Till who is at times incredibly honest and open with fans to such a disarming degree that you can't help but like him, which makes it all the more gut-wrenching watching his career take the dive that it has in recent years. Don't get me wrong though, I think he has all the opportunity to come back in the world, but as Dana has publicly acknowledged, the undefeated phenom that was Darren Till simply fought Tyron Woodley for the title just a little too soon. I mean, up until that point, he looked to be on top of the world as the sport's potential next big thing, but the numbers really don't lie on this one. He's only won one out of every fight he's had since then, and him being the guy who was screaming he's not afraid of anyone and he would take on anyone after Steven Thompson. Fucking Anyone and anyone, I don't care. I'm not scared of anyone. Admitted that in the one win he's had over Kelvin Gastelum, that he was looking for excuses not to fight that night and stay in the back. I didn't even want to go out there tonight. I was thinking of ways to like fake an injury, and I was, I was just, oh, like I'm getting a bit worked up saying it because it like. Sorry. He's opened up about mental health and his struggles in recent years, and it's hard not to root for his return to form. But as things stand now, well, nothing for him looks quite like it did just a couple of years before this losing streak. Number three, Gray Maynard. I literally don't think there is anyone that's come closer to winning a title than this guy. You can find people that will perhaps match it, but you're certainly not going to surpass it. And most of you are already aware of how this happened because it's legendary. Back when 10-8 scores took an act of God to to earn, Gray Maynard nearly earned a 10-7 in the opening round of their first title fight and basically did it again and their rematch. But of course, Edgar would survive both times and take over each of the fights, enough to actually earn a TKO the second time around. And outside of a Nate Diaz loss on Tough, which doesn't officially count against your career, he was undefeated up until that point. He even avenged that TV loss to Nate Diaz in the UFC as well. But after the third Edgar fight, it was like things had just suddenly changed. He did have an incredibly bizarre fight with Clay Guida that essentially handed a win to him by a bad strategy from Clay and Team Jackson Wing before Gray would lose his next four in a row, one being a dramatic end to the Nate Diaz saga. Most fighters would already be cut by that point. He would get a couple more wins over UFC newcomers, but never win two in a row and was basically done by 2018. What happened is anyone's guess, but it was about as dramatic as a shift as you'll ever see from undefeated to fledgling so quickly. Number two, Dominic Reyes. If there is any one certainty in MMA betting, it's pretty clearly never bet on the favorite in a Jan Blahovich fight. When he beat Rockhold, he was the underdog. When he beat Corey Anderson in the rematch, he was the underdog. When he beat Izzy, he was definitely the underdog. And of course, when he was finally the favorite against Glover Teixeira, he lost. And his fight with Dominic Reyes exactly followed suit. Reyes had it in the court of public opinion, unfortunately not the judges, just beaten John Jones. I was actually there for this one and there was no doubt in my mind who deserved to win it. So when he fought in his very next fight against Blahovich for the vacant title, 
he was understandably the favorite. And before Jones, he was undefeated as well. But that fight against Jan was just a one-sided beating. So much so that it was honestly shocking. Either man could have obviously won, but Reyes looked like he was vastly outclassed. Yet on top of that, the absolute war with Yuri Prohaska afterwards ending in that spinning elbow KO, well, we are beginning to see one of the great falls in recent memory because of how dramatic and swiftly it's all happened. Of course, there's still time to recover, but with Reyes recently questioning his own level of motivation for the sport, a moment he directly attributes to the yawn loss. Suddenly, not confident in who I am anymore. I started doubting my skill set. I started doubting all the work I've done. I doubted whether I was who I proved I was all those years in the UFC. Like, am, am I really that dude? It makes you wonder how many fights are even left at this point. Number 1. Tiago Santos As much as I hate to say it, here we are again with another Jones loss that some indeed scored for the challenger that seems to have changed their careers for the worse. In Santos's case, he actually took Jones to the brink, managing to win on one of the judges' scorecards against him in 2019. This was despite essentially losing both of his legs in the midst of the fight due to tearing multiple ligaments in his left knee, which is a pretty severe set of injuries, and just one of those ligaments being torn could take you out for a full year, and then he also tore his meniscus in both knees. Again, all of this happened during their fight. How he made it through all of that is a real testament to his character and is anybody's guess how he could do it. And naturally, everyone assumed his return after all that would be a chance to reaffirm his place as one of the absolute best 205 pounders. But somehow in the last three years, he's only won one time in his last six fights. He is absolutely a beloved fighter who always has a chance to come back as long as he is active but unfortunately there just hasn't been a resurgence since. And now at age 38, lately questions of retirement are coming up more than those about title aspirations. Hey, that was a fun one, guys. I'd like to give a shout out to the editor of this list. That is Luke Taylor. You can follow him on Twitter at cool to me underscore. Hey, and uh, don't tell him I said this, but every time this guy plays me in ping pong, he cheats. I don't know how much longer this work relationship will last. And then of course, a shout out to Ben Rosette, legitimately one of my favorite music artists out there and I've listened to his stuff over and over. It's a real dream to be working with him, so make sure you guys check him out. He's available in stores everywhere and we got links in the description. But yeah, that's it guys. If you're fans of the channel, please like and subscribe. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys watching. We've been doing this for five years now. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. We did post on our social media, it's pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate you guys watching and what you guys do just by being here every time we post. We'll catch you on the next video.